Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it's week two for three of the biggest returns in modern wrestling history. Effie is on the show, and a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey guys, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Hope everybody's doing good. Happy Monday. One of the last Mondays of the summer, I guess, right? Next week it's already Labor Day. That is insane. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about before we get to our interview with Effie. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Effie before we get to the Effie conversation. Um, but we got to talk about, I mean, we got the NXT rebrand to talk about. We've got the... Uh, we got to send a. I'm going to start with a congratulations to NWA for putting on uh, Empower over the weekend. A lot of people talking about that all women's pay per view. Um, everybody, everybody was on the show. Mickey James, uh, kind of being the the figurehead of it, kind of being the face of it. But you know, getting to see Melina and Chelsea Green and uh, everybody else, Camille, everybody else that they had involved in that show. I. Uh, I, I thought it was really, really great. I thought it was really, really great how many people they had talking about it. I thought that it looked great from a venue perspective. Um, so, yeah, man, hats off to them for putting on a really uh, awesome all-women show. I think it was a very cool thing to do and uh, definitely a good way to spend your Saturday night over the weekend. I'm sure you can still get it on fight or whatever if you missed it. Um, you know, we talked about the... Before we get into the NXT rebrand, because we did talk about it a little bit, it was before the logo dropped, about the potential of what NXT would look like on Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, which, if you're not listening to it, you're only hearing half of Not Sam Wrestling every week. Wouldn't that be a shame? If you go to patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling, you can sign up now, be a Not Sam show. For less than a dollar a week, you're going to get the show ad-free and early every single week. You're going to get a bonus Not Sam Wrestling podcast every single week, Thursday or Friday. Come into the Not Sam studio and drop it. And then within the other tiers that are available, you can watch the show recorded live. You can interact with Q&As. Everybody gets access to the Discord room. We do Zoom meetings. We'll do pre-pay-per-view Zoom meetings for every pay-per-view I'm in town for. There's a lot of stuff going on, uh, but for less than a dollar a week, you get an extra podcast, and you get the show early and ad-free. So patreon.com slash wrestling is the place for all that. And, of course, youtube.com slash wrestling is the other spot. When we dropped our bonus uh, Heels podcast that we did with CM Punk and Luke Hawks, that interview went up on the podcast and up at youtube.com slash wrestling at the same time. And assuming everything goes according to plan and I get all my editing done, the Effie interview that you hear on the podcast should be dropping on the YouTube channel at the exact same time as this show drops. So youtube.com slash wrestling. Head over there and give us a subscribe. Before we get into uh, the sort of speculation that's building with NXT, let's talk about these returns, okay? Because I teased it at the top of the show uh, in my little cold open. Of course, the three biggest returns in the modern era in this era of wrestling, I, I can't imagine three bigger returns, in, especially in a post-pandemic era. But really, CM Punk is one of the biggest returns to wrestling ever because 
nobody knew if he was ever going to return. You know, he left when he was still a huge star, and he left simply because he was unhappy. And that's the type of thing where Daniel Bryan's return was huge and Edge's return was huge. But I don't know. There's something about... CM Punk's is just so unique because nobody loses their smile and goes home for seven years. You know, you lose your smile and you go home for months. You go home for weeks. You don't go home for seven years. There's just something very unique about it, I should say. Because nobody thought Daniel Bryan would ever wrestle again. Nobody thought Edge would ever wrestle again. I think if you look at what people are doing, I don't think we're fully caught up to Edge and everything he's done since Royal Rumble 2020. I think Edge, and it, it's, it's a little bit of a different thing because Edge isn't full-time. Shawn Michaels, among being the greatest of all time at everything else pretty much, has to be looked at as the greatest return in the history of wrestling. Because he's another one that nobody really knew if he was gone because of psychological issues, if he was gone strictly because of his back injury, if it was drug issues that he was taking care of. There were, and maybe it was all things combined. But there was this idea that Shawn Michaels will probably never wrestle again. And I remember as a tape trader back in the day, when he was running his wrestling school that Daniel Bryan and Spanky both were at, that he wrestled one match for the wrestling school on like the local Texas TV. And it was a street fight. But I remember that was a real hot VHS tape at the time. I definitely had a copy of it. But he wrestled that one match because it was like, oh my God, but it was a pure street fight. It wasn't even on the level of the Shawn Michaels Triple H street fight that would eventually happen at SummerSlam 2002. But prior to 2002, you know, he left in what, 98? So while uh, those four years, it wasn't like, okay, he'll be back in four years. It was like, he'll probably never come back. And when he did come back, he, all of the, I would say all of the best matches of his career. If you're going to make a top three Shawn Michaels, you're probably, I wonder how far down the list you'd get before you entered in, before you left that, second unexpected leg of his career. You know what I mean? Because not to take anything away from everything he did from, you know, 1990 to 1997, but or 1998, I guess. But the idea that most, that his best matches, we'll just put it that way, his best matches, and certainly his best match, but I would say his best matches. I don't think there's anything pre-2002 that beats either of the Undertaker matches that beats the Ric Flair match right there. Right, he doesn't become WrestleMania until after his return in 2002. He had good WrestleMania matches. WrestleMania 12. I mean, really, it's WrestleMania 12 and WrestleMania 14. Those are his two WrestleMania moments before he leaves. He, I mean, of course, he had Tito Santana at WrestleMania 8. Rockers wrestled at WrestleMania 7. He had a good match with Tatanka at WrestleMania 9. I, I guess WrestleMania 10 can be on that list, too, with Razor. You know, he had the world title match with Diesel at WrestleMania 11. But realistically, 10, 12, 14. And I guess I, that's not enough to make him Mr. WrestleMania, but it's certainly enough to build a WrestleMania legacy. And then you can add in the other stuff that he did there. But it, it wasn't until he got the two Undertaker matches and the Flair match and the John Cena match and wasn't the Kurt Angle match at a WrestleMania too? I'm not 100% sure about that. 
But definitely the John C Oh, my God. That's when he becomes Re Mr. WrestleMania. I mean, Shawn Michaels' return is the best return in the history of, of professional wrestling. Nobody had a second wave like him, and I don't think anybody ever, ever, ever will. It's still jaw-droppingly remarkable to this day. But I think Edge's return, uh, once it's all said and done, is going to be talked about in the same way. The level of storytelling that that guy is doing during this chapter of his career that was never supposed to happen is unreal. And it's different stories all the time, you know. Edge comes back at Royal Rumble 2020. And for one day, only one day, we live in this space of the only story being told here is, oh, my God, Edge is back. Because the night after Royal Rumble 2020 is when the Edge-Randy Orton story starts being told. And that lasts us through to WrestleMania, which I think I thought that it might have been better. Uh, that, that was what I said at the time. This match will probably be better with no fans. I was 100% wrong. It would have been much better with fans. However, the greatest wrestling match ever, go back and listen to the podcast that I did on the greatest wrestling match ever. That's one of those Not Sam Wrestling podcasts that I'll put in the, in, 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 in the vault, in the library of these are things, th these are the breakdowns that you have to listen to. Because I still don't think that the greatest wrestling match ever gets nearly the credit that it deserves for what it was. But then you go on and you look at everything else Edge did, like the story that Edge told coming into 2021 and entering that Royal Rumble and heading towards Roman Reigns and the, the, the story that he told in his quest to win the WWE Championship, the story that he told with Seth Rollins. Like he's, tell, he's telling all these different stories as he goes and the detail that he's going into, the detail that these stories go into, the, the amount of thinking that goes on. Like I was watching, I was watching, uh, I guess it was Dynamite. And I was really getting a kick out of the fact that when Kenny Omega does a promo, every single word that he says has a double meaning. All of them. I, I, I love that stuff. I think it's brilliant. I, I, I think people who treat wrestling as a high-level storytelling mechanism, people who treat wrestling like they're these great filmmakers, you know, like like when you look at great filmmakers, you know, when you look at like Ari Aster, who did Hereditary and who did Midsummer, when you look at 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 uh, Darren Aronofsky, who did Mother and he did The Wrestler, actually, and he did Black Swan and uh, 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 P.T. Anderson, who did Boogie Nights and The Master and, and Inherent Vice and, and Magnolia, made my favorite movie of all time. But. These great filmmakers do not, I mean, they, 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 everything that they're doing in their films is intentional. Everything that they're doing in their films has one meaning that's on the surface and another meaning below the surface. And there's a whole subtext that's going on within the film. And so much of wrestling is done without subtext because it's like, it's just straight ahead. Well, the good guy was wronged by the bad guy, and now the good guy is going to get his revenge against the bad guy. Okay, that's cool. I like wrestling. But when there is real thought and brain power and storytelling and subtext and this idea that for the performer, this is what I love. When a performer is doing something that he knows 
that the majority of the audience will not pick up on. Maybe not even the majority, but at least a good percent of the audience. There are things that a good percent of the audience is not going to pick up on, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm not going to beat anybody over the head with it. And if they get it, they get it. And if they don't, they don't. And I'm moving on to the next thing. That, to me, is brilliant. That's why I love that show, The Sopranos, so much. Because there's a lot going on on the surface, but the reason you can watch The Sopranos over and over and over again is because there's so much subtext, and there's so much nuance, and there's so much happening under the surface, and there's, there's just so much going on, and so much you can analyze. I love being analytical about this stuff. And the stuff, what Kenny Omega cuts these promos, and I'm listening to him, and I'm like, is he talking about Christian? Is he talking about Edge? Is he talking about CM Punk? Or is he talking about all of them? He's like, hey, Punk, you think you know me? And I'm like, right there. That, he started the promo by saying that. And I'm like, oh, I love, love, love that he's talking about three different people. As he's looking at Christian, he's talking about three different people, all of whom are intertwined and related. And you're like, this is just, this is what it should be. This is when it's at its best. And Edge is working on that level. Edge is doing that. Bringing back the brood. The whole thing. I just, I just think Edge is such a brilliant, brilliant performer and puts so much into storytelling, especially in the place that he's at right now. I would have to imagine that in the place that Edge is, he's got a lot of free reign when it comes to picking the stories that he tells and how he tells his stories. And instead of just letting it be an ego trip, instead of just letting it be a farewell tour, he is... It's like he's a kid in a candy store, I feel like. I feel like he's sitting there going, like, for, for years. I would have loved to have the ability to tell the stories that I want the way I want to tell them. And now that I have that ability, I'm not going to blow it. Now that I have that ability, I'm going to go all the way. And I'm going to tell stories that I would have always wanted to tell. And I think that that's, I, I think it's utterly brilliant. I love what Edge is doing right now. The three biggest returns, I would say, of the post-pandemic era are very obviously, and they all happened within a week of each other. CM Punk, Becky Lynch, Brock Lesnar. And I, it's one of those things that because CM Punk comes back on a Friday, Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar come back on the Sunday. And then we get to, since we last spoke here on the podcast, we get to CM Punk coming out again on Wednesday, Becky Lynch coming out again on Friday, Brock Lesnar not coming out but being referenced. Week one goes to CM Punk. And there's no, I mean, there's nothing anybody could have done for week one. CM Punk would have had to screw up so bad to not get week one. I mean, every wrestling fan has been waiting for that guy to return. Week two, you're going to think I'm nuts. And maybe you think I'm a shill or whatever. Week two, I'm going to give to Brock Lesnar. And he wasn't even there. And I'll tell you why. I... As I've told you a thousand, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a junkie for stories. That's what I've been talking about here. CM Punk right now is at this place where it's, I mean, he's at a really interesting point because what could possibly be a bigger wrestling story than CM Punk is back, right? And that's why I think AEW did a good job bringing him back without some like really over-the-top hokey like wrestling thing. They didn't like pigeonhole him into a, into a, a wrestling story, to start this thing, 
They just allowed the fact that CM Punk is back to be the story that's being told. And I think that is the story that should be told. But when I saw him on Wednesday, I thought to myself, I'm really looking forward to when he starts telling real stories. I'm really looking forward to when he gets to that place. Like right now, I feel like until we get to the pay-per-view with him and Darby Allen, it really is just the story is, oh my God, CM Punk is back and he's going to wrestle one of the young guys. But after this happens once, like literally after the pay-per-view, I'm going to be sitting there going like, okay, what is the story we're telling? Especially because theoretically, you're going to have more debuts happening over there. You're going to have more stuff happening over there. And it's going to be this thing where the headline can't always be, holy shit, CM Punk is on TV. It's going to have to. And I have every I have every assurance that it, it will. Like, I'm not sitting here going, what are they nuts? What do they not understand what I understand? Like, clearly, I would hope that they have thought of this as well. Clearly, I would hope they're going, yeah, Sam, we're going to start an angle at the pay-per-view. Because I'm for, for me, I'm waiting for an angle to start. And then I'm going to be all in. And I have every, no pun intended, and I have every confidence that an angle will start. But that's what I'm waiting for. Whether it's somebody turning heel on CM Punk at the pay-per-view or CM Punk turning heel and not wanting to lay down for the younger guys or calling reference to the fact. And that's the other thing. When he goes on TV and he's like, you know, I'm not calling myself the voice of the voiceless anymore because the voices are being heard. And I'm like, that's awesome for wrestling. Cool sentiment. But what is Batman without the Joker? What's the Joker without Batman? If CM Punk is not fighting upstream, is he CM Punk? It's going to get real interesting. It's going to get really interesting. Same way, by the way, I'm looking at Becky Lynch. I'm very skeptical of what's going on with Becky Lynch on SmackDown right now. You know, I, I, I watch, here's the way it broke down. I watched SummerSlam and I'm like, okay, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why Bianca Belair would get squashed. It's crazy. But then I looked at Bianca Belair's face after she lost in 25 seconds and I looked at Becky Lynch's face and I thought, hmm, maybe Bianca Belair is going to turn heel. Maybe Bianca Belair is going to beat up Becky Lynch. Maybe Bianca Belair is going to talk about how this wasn't fair. But also it kind of wasn't fair, so will that work if she turns heel? But, you know, I think Bianca could pull it off. You know, I think that that could work. Then the dirt sheet reports start coming out, and it's not just, like, dirt sheets that, you know, Johnny's random wrestling website. Meltzer straight up says it. Dave Meltzer, I mean, if you're going to read dirt sheets— if it comes out of the mouth of Meltzer, Wade Keller, like, you know, these are guys who have been doing this for quite some time. He says they're going to make Becky Lynch a bad guy, a villain, a heel. I go, really? Well, that remains to be seen. But, you know, you've been wrong before. Hopefully you're wrong again. I don't I don't get that. Becky Lynch comes out on SmackDown. She's got a the man is back in Little Rock t-shirt, the same way she had a man, the man is back in Vegas t-shirt at SummerSlam. And I'm like... All right, well, if she's turning heel, why does she have T-shirts that have the town printed on them? Like, I mean, I, I, they did it with Brock, who, by the way, like, I mean, that one, they could turn Brock back heel, but today Brock Lesnar is a babyface. You don't have to read a dirt sheet to know that. You just have to watch wrestling to clearly see that. 
That's not like, oh, I just read online that they're going to make Brock Lesnar a good guy. He was smiling when he walked to the ring. He has a ponytail. He's clearly a good guy. But Becky, sure, I was like, okay, well, maybe the maybe the wrestling, you know, sites were wrong. It's happened many times before. And they're not going to make Becky Lynch a bad guy. Because making Becky Lynch a bad guy, to me, sounds like lunacy. It sounds crazy. On the surface, unless you guys know something I don't know, I'm sitting here going, Becky Lynch, forget about male, female, anything. Becky Lynch is the most popular full-time superstar on the roster, male or female. Nobody is a bigger star working full-time than Becky Lynch. So, you know, you're on the cusp of creating a Cena. And I think I said that a year or two ago, that, like, Becky Lynch is the next Cena. It goes Hogan, Shauna Brett. I know they wanted it to be Diesel, but I can't put Diesel in that category. It goes Hogan, Shauna Brett, Austin and Rock, Cena, Becky. I think, but I, 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 but I'm watching SmackDown, and I go, okay, maybe that's not going to happen. But then the other part of me says, Becky's smart. Becky is another one who understands storytelling. Becky is good. I would not put it past them to make all these Becky Lynch shirts as part of a swerve. You know, let's not tip our hat to it yet. Eventually, she'll get there. Maybe by the time we get to Extreme Rules, I don't know. But it was the way she responded to Bianca Belair on SmackDown when Bianca was like, I want my match. And she was like, nope, not tonight. And just skedaddled, left. And it really was kind of like, like, I want to celebrate that Becky Lynch is back. And maybe this is what they're going for. But I want to celebrate Becky Lynch's back. I want to watch TV and cheer for the biggest star in wrestling beating up villains. You know? I mean, Becky can still elevate Bianca by being on her side, if that's the idea. But also, who's going to be more famous than Becky Lynch? Like, I don't think Becky Lynch is at that phase of her career, unless she's only going to come back for a year and then split for good, which seems crazy to me as well. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I started to get real worried when she split like that. I was like, oh, are they really like inching towards Becky Lynch being a villain? Because if so, I can't get behind that. I'm here for the man. I, can't, I, I, I don't understand that at all. She's charismatic. She's relatable. And there's just a, a general attraction to her. People love cheering for that lady. I don't know. It's weird, man. That one weirded me out. And then we get to Brock. Brock was not on the show. Finn Balor, I'm telling you right now, bro. He said again, I'm going to take care of you, Cena. <sighs> you got to put Cena on TV on September 10th, and you got to have Finn Balor beat John Cena. Because right now, I saw Finn Balor look awesome for two weeks, look awesome for the beginning of the third week, but the third week was the contract signing for SummerSlam. By the end of the third week, look like a schmuck and never recover from that. 
And I love Finn Balor. He did not recover. He was, he was, he was thrown out of the ring. His contract was just signed by another dude. And then management was like, well, the other dude can have the match. And by the way, everything that was, was happened before that was Roman and John Cena and everybody on TV basically saying, well, this is, the Finn Balor match is much easier than the John Cena match. We've got to correct that damage. We can't just act like that didn't happen. On the way to Extreme Rules, John Cena is advertised for SmackDown on September 10th. There's a good chance he's just going to be in the dark match. But I think what you do on September 10th, you have John Cena come out, thank the crowd at Madison Square Garden in the opening segment, saying, I don't know when I'll be back, but I'm sure I'll see you soon. You know, this isn't goodbye. This is I'll see you later. And the idea being that maybe, you know, maybe we'll see him again at WrestleMania, but like he's saying goodbye. And then before he leaves, on his way down the aisle, Finn Balor confronts him. And he goes, John, I appreciate you saying goodbye, but we have some unfinished business. And given that I don't know when I'm going to see you again, I'd like to finish it tonight. Finn Balor challenges John Cena in that opening segment to a match in the ring on SmackDown. You want to pop a rating? Boom. Build it up all night. 940 hits. John Cena versus Finn Balor happens. You got, you got, they're, they're going toe to toe. John Cena looks like he's going to win. Here comes the bloodline out to help John Cena. No, they get stopped by the Street Profits. They get stopped by whoever else. Maybe Kevin Owens comes out to stop Roman Reigns. But they get stopped, so they don't interfere in the match at all. The match keeps going. There's no roll-up distraction thing. The match keeps going. No help from the bloodline. No help from Finn Balor's friends, the Street Profits. Finn Balor beats John Cena clean. If you got Finn Balor beating John Cena clean, you got a real main event for Extreme Rules. A real main event for Extreme Rules. Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns. Hey, Roman, I saw you beat John Cena. So did I. And by the way, if, if John Cena is going away again until WrestleMania, what do you think is going to happen? John Cena is going to come back at WrestleMania and people are going to be like, I don't know, man. Finn Balor beat that guy. I don't really, uh, I don't really think I'm going to buy a ticket to see him. Incorrect. Incorrect. He's John G.D. Cena. He will always be John G.D. Cena. He's the man. Not the man, like, by, you know what I'm saying. If he wants to come back for WrestleMania and try to get his 17th title win, he can do it. But the way that I figured it out, I think we talked about this on the, on the Patreon show, was I've got, I've got uh, uh, Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor at Extreme Rules. Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor rematch at the October pay-per-view. Bobby Lashley keeps the WWE Championship. Survivor Series, Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley, champion versus champion. Brock Lesnar interferes. Bobby Lashley beats Roman Reigns after the interference. Roman Reigns is furious. It's his first loss. It does have an asterisk next to it, but it really helps out Bobby Lashley. We go to Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns beats Brock Lesnar in a match at the Royal Rumble. The Rock either wins the Elimination Chamber or wins the Royal Rumble. We're going to go to WrestleMania 35. 
or th not 35. I wish it was 35. That would make me younger. WrestleMania 38, you're going with Roman defending his title against The Rock. And then with all this going on, Brock Lesnar points out, Bobby, you didn't beat Roman Reigns. I beat him for you. And Bobby's like, last I checked, I pinned Roman Reigns and you didn't. And this leads us to a WrestleMania match between Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. So I don't know where John Cena fits in for WrestleMania right now. Maybe you do, you, you could do Cena versus Edge one more time. You could do Cena versus Rollins again. That could be a lot of fun. Cena versus Triple H could be cool. Um, I don't know. Maybe Cena versus Riddle. Although I'd love to see Goldberg versus Riddle at WrestleMania. And I realized, by the way, that earlier I think I said that Brock Lesnar was my MVP of week two for the returns, even though Brock Lesnar was not on TV. And that was because of the interactions that Paul Heyman and the Bloodline were having on SmackDown. Two segments in specific. The first was Paul Heyman being locked out of Roman Reigns' dressing room. And the Usos coming out and the shoe being on the other foot. Anybody that's been following this storyline for a year, and it has been going on for a year as of this weekend. This weekend marked 365 days since Paul Heyman appeared at the side of Roman Reigns for the very first time. And seeing the Usos come out, the Usos who have been on the receiving end of the mental abuse from Roman Reigns, of the mental abuse from Paul Heyman, coming out of that locker room and making Paul Heyman feel like he needed to prove his loyalty. I don't know how many, but I have been in a relationship before where it's like, you think you're cool, but there is this aura of superiority happening above you. And there is this thing that is hanging over you where you have to consistently prove your loyalty, prove your loyalty, prove your loyalty. And I mean, it will drive you crazy. It will make you insane. Paul Heyman being outside of that locker room and, and showing a new dynamic between him, Roman, the Usos, and the Usos kind of being the ones bullying him mentally and making him feel like, no, no, everything's okay, Paul. Why? Why wouldn't it be okay, Paul? Why wouldn't you think it was okay, Paul? Oh, you didn't know Brock Lesnar was there, huh, Paul? Weird. Shouldn't you have known that, Paul? Oh, that's weird, Paul. And then at the end of the show, before Roman comes out in the gorilla position, looking at Paul Heyman and saying, but Paul, you are family. Like, Paul, why would you think that anything was wrong? Just the most gaslighting of all gaslighting gaslighters. It was in incredible the mental abuse the 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 cerebral torture being inflicted upon Paul Heyman by Roman Reigns and nobody deserves it more than Paul Heyman somebody who has who has used his brain to abuse people in the past i just think character wise so interesting so cool so good uh the new NXT logo and i guess what i would imagine will be the intro it's a Wale song. We're looking at paint splatters. Brightly colored uh, paint splatters. So some orange, some green, yellow, blue. It's a happy little logo. We've got a happy little NXT logo. There you go. Let's put a little splatter of orange right there on that X. Isn't that nice? 
And what are we going to do? Now, you might think that, that that was a mistake, splattering that green next to that orange, but I like to think of it as a as a happy accident, a happy little accident. Let's Let's splatter some purple at the bottom of that tea. Isn't that nice? Isn't that splatter of that purple nice? The new... NXT logo, I'm, I would hope by now you all have seen it. If not, uh, it's all over the internet. Just look it up. And look, I get it. A lot of people are afraid of change. I have, points in my life have been afraid of change. Change isn't always a good thing. But change is something. I'm, and maybe I'm foolishly optimistic. But I'm optimistic about the fact that there's this kind of energy even being put in to an NXT rebrand. That it feels like that the 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 brand is being relaunched. We have to believe, based on the fact that NXT for this coming Tuesday, as in tomorrow, and a week from tomorrow, has already been taped. I have not read any of the spoilers, but one would have to believe that the rebrand that we're seeing, the colorful logo, all that stuff, won't take effect until two weeks from tomorrow. So the fact that they're already, and I already saw it Sunday night, they were tweeting the logo again as like a gif with the colors moving and everything. And it's the complete opposite of what we're used to. There's no skulls, there's no crossbones, doesn't feel like Poppy fits in as much anymore, no black and gold, no metal, no nothing. It's completely different. And if you love what you've been seeing, to see something that is the polar opposite is going to make you cautious. However, I don't think it's a bad thing that NXT undergoes a change. Now, I also feel like there's a lot of people that are concerned because they're hearing online what these edicts are going forward with WWE and the way they pursue talent. The rumors are that WWE is no longer going to pursue independent wrestling talent. The people who want to be professional wrestlers for a living are not going to be the ones that WWE is looking at. WWE is instead going to look at the professional athletes of the world. When I read something like that, I feel like the report is probably taken out of context, that the reality of what will go down, and even if it's not taken out of context, even if, if it's a verbatim quote from somebody, there has never been a period of time in WWE history where all talent comes simply from one funnel. There have certainly been periods of time where the emphasis is put more on one than the other, but let's be honest. I mean, there was a period of time where independent talent wasn't being looked at as closely, and that's when you got John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, Brock Lesnar. There was also a time when, again, independent wrestling was not being looked at as closely, and it's when you got Daniel Bryan, and it's when you got Sami Zayn. There was a time when WCW wrestlers had a stigma on them. And it's when you got Chris Jericho. And it's when you got Eddie Guerrero. There are always people that break the mold. There was a time when there was a stigma on TNA wrestlers. When Impact wrestlers were not looked at as brands that the WWE would want to acquire. Fast forward... And you've got Samoa Joe and you've got AJ Styles. Good is good is good is good. And again, I may be foolishly optimistic, but I feel like good will always be good. Cream will always rise. And a great independent wrestler that can be a big act in the WWE, if they want to be in the WWE, 
will be in the WWE. Now, all that said, you also have to keep in mind how many different doors are open for wrestlers now. I truly feel like if WWE ignores a talent that could be great inside a WWE ring, another company won't. In a world where we have Impact Wrestling putting a new foot forward, AEW becoming a second national, if not international, wrestling brand, Ring of Honor putting a new, fresh foot forward, and the independents absolutely blowing up. Anybody that doesn't get the opportunity or the credit and the financial credit that they deserve from WWE will have the option to make that happen somewhere else. So we as fans will not have to go without seeing this talent, and I truly believe it. And there are some that believe that independent wrestling is not a stepping stone, that independent wrestling is not something that you do so that a bigger company notices you. There are some that truly, right now anyway, are basing their business around simply being an independent wrestler, and that's what they do for a living. And one of those people who is an independent wrestler with the goal of being an independent wrestler is the guest on this week's podcast, our guest, Effie. Effie is, uh, he's kind of changing the world, and we talked about that in this interview. Um, Effie has been all over the place. He's one of the great uh, independent wrestlers that's traveling everywhere right now. He's a big part of GCW and everything that they do. He's doing Effie's Big Gay Brunch in Chicago this Sunday, September 5th at 11 a.m. But if you just follow him uh, on Twitter, at Effie, Effie Lives, which he's on Twitch, at Effie Lives. He's on Instagram everywhere. Like, he does, he's a Twitch all-star. He does crazy numbers on Twitch. He gets people going. I swear, man, I, I go to this GCW show in Atlantic City. Nick Gage, Matt Cardona, I mean, Deathmatch. Talk about a blood and guts promotion. People have this idea of GCW. The wrestling fans are boys in black t-shirts. You know how wrestling fans are. And I remember being at ECW shows. And I remember the stuff that would come out of those fans' mouths. And it was atrocious. It was downright scary. But man, I'm sitting there at this deathmatch wrestling show. And Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John starts playing. A song that by design for theme music not that many years ago would only be used for cheap heat. Not the podcast, the idea of it. Has people reacting like the Pope is coming to the ring. Yeah! Yeah! Evie's changing everything, man. He's a smart guy. He's an awesome dude. And he puts on a hell of a performance. And he does so for us today on Not Sam Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. Here in the Not Sam studio, for the first time, somebody who I literally think is changing wrestling, and for the better, ladies and gentlemen, he's here, Effie. Hello. Effie is here, Effie I'm lives. Here. That's such a wonderful introduction. Here. Well, I think you are, because like, and it's like little things. Like if you look at, what you're doing, like specifically at like GCW shows, for example. Right. The audience loves you. 
and they're on your side and you're coming out and you're wearing fishnets and you're wearing trunks that say daddy on the back and you are you are being as effy as humanly possible and it doesn't feel like that long ago where not these human beings but that sort of general crowd like i mean i grew up in the ecw era right where it was normal to hear the most I've heard a few Bully Ray promos from his, from his ECW days. I know how it is. And it's what it was. Yeah. And and now that's complete. And it's like a character like yours would only exist for the heat. Right. Right? And historically has only existed for the heat. Right. Uh, and I'm of the belief that I think it stems a little bit from wrestling fans. Wrestling fans are sort of used to being surprised by things they don't think will work for them. Like, right. We are presented a lot of information as wrestling fans. So when I come out and they go, okay, well, here comes the the little gay gimmick, and here he's going to do the little gay thing. He's going to kiss somebody so we can boo him. He's going to give him a kiss. Yeah. He's going to do it, which I still do, but it's of my own preference <laughs> to do so. I'm not being asked to do it for heat. But since there's so much acceptance on that level, I'm not saying you have to go out and earn it. Well, you kind of do have to go out and earn it. But when you're in front of them and you kind of put the work in and earn it in front of them, and they go, okay, well, we had expectations of what this was going to be. And then they see that you can actually wrestle or you can tell a story or you are more than what they expected. They seem to get more excited about it. So I actually, I'll, I'll name drop here. Yeah. A long time ago, uh, Kevin Kelly was working with an independent company. And he said, you never post anything of your wrestling. I said, I know. He said, why? He said, because everybody else posts things of their wrestling. If I can garner a strong opinion of the Effie character before you see me wrestle, I win. Right. Because I know I can back it up. And if you're going to come in and go, well, I heard he did. I heard he beat up a kid. I heard he heard somebody ate whipped cream out of his butt. You know, (laughs) if you come in with that strong opinion and then I can pull you in with an actual match and you're paying attention to me. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, he can actually do it. And maybe this tongue in cheek thing. And maybe he knew what he was doing, leading us on with this weird kind of seemingly scandalous stuff when he actually gets in the ring and he's busting it out. And so, like, with that, I've seen it happen not just at GCW, though. I started in the South. I started in these really homophobic areas. Right. And I came in as a heel, and I knew I would, but it flipped really fast. Like, I'd go into a promotion. They'd be like, you're the heel. Go out there. And I'm kind of a loose enough person, and I adapt to the audience, and I adapt to the room instead of going, this is my match, this is what I'm going to have, that I get in front of these people, and there's something a little infectious about it. And even though they vote a different way than me, even though they don't think I should have rights, they find themselves cheering. And then you find the best moment of all, which is when like a homophobic dad comes up to you and has to give you $10 for a piece of your merch because it's the only thing his kid wants. And you're like, damn, if I'm this hot in South Georgia right now, you know, and I'm this hot with GCW going more nationally now, if we could have done this four years ago, the orange dude would have never won. We could have really shifted people's opinions. But we're a little too late on that. So now we've got to fight even more aggressively to say, hey, we're going to get the mainstream wrestling fans in. We're mm-hmm. going to get them comfortable. And then we're going to tell them why we're mad. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them comfortable before you tell them they're mad, they're all about it. Right. And it's also that way they're not on the defensive, right? They're already on your side. So it's not like you're saying, hey, we're mad at you because of what you're doing. It's like, this is just why we're mad. And since they're on your side, it's like, oh, we can be mad with you instead of being defensive. Yes. And going like, well, you... You're, you're good. Why are you complaining so much? We treat you fine. Right? Because it could be better. Right. It could be better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so you're, the strategy is to win people over. It's not about 
convincing them like I'd like to introduce you to this character this is what I do and this is why I want you to like it it's just here's the character there's enough there to pique your interest whether you like it or don't like it it's like you're going to be curious about it right once you go check it out that's where it becomes undeniable right. and that's where I've got you right yes yes exactly Thank yeah. you for uh, taking that into a smaller segment for me. That's well, good. Well, I, I needed the explanation before yeah. I could before I could uh, make it concise. Um, but this can't be like that's not your mission when you start professional wrestling, or is it? Okay, so I've spoken a little bit about this. I have to be honest because then you'll understand my intention better. Because I don't think anyone is in wrestling the same reason I am. Okay. I I used to be a bit of a party boy. Okay. Bit of a heavy party boy to the point where I was partying alone a lot and it's not healthy for you. And I hit a point where I had taken some experimental hallucinatory drugs. Yeah. I had tripped out for five days. I went to inpatient rehab. Like straight. Like you're oh like five, five days. days in a row. Like it was uh it was memorable. It's wow. still in my head. Uh to the point where like my family had to be called in. I'm like twenty three at this point. I guess I just turned twenty three. And I had always been a wrestling fan, but I came out of this and I wasn't drinking anymore and I'd given up everything and I'm not smoking and I'm not taking pills. I'm not doing drugs. I have nothing to do and I have no money. And during this time, this is going to sound so weird, Sam. Mm -hmm. I had a really intense uh, moment where I was looking at news and media and wrestling, especially that I'd been a fan of and saying, green screen technology is pretty good. Movie technology is pretty good. Why would I trot John Cena out in Cincinnati and Sacramento and Seattle and Atlanta when the backdrop is about the same and the people aren't there, but then it goes deeper and you start getting crazy and you go, well, hold on. There's only one way to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to know if any of this is real if I go poke all of it and see if the bubble pops. And so as I have entered it, I have just made it my mission to go, well, maybe this is the level where it becomes fake. Maybe this is the level where it becomes fake, where there's this elite level of like, you can go do your indie shows and have fun, kids. There's 100 people here. But if it's on this level, we're not making John Cena bump every night. We've got a green screen suit and a guy doing mocap. It sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. Yeah. I was on drugs, Sam. Right. But I came out of it and I said, I'm only going to figure this out if I go do it. So my first goal was, well, is you know feeling the pain of wrestling even real? Yeah, I found out at training it is. And then is working a show even real? Well, it is. And as I've continued to go and push, and now I'm at you know Sam Roberts' studio here that I used to listen to in my car to hear about wrestling breaking news, Clearly, I may have proven myself wrong. I had a hypothesis uh -huh. that nothing was real, and I'm learning through my career that everything is real. <laughs> so, I mean, because a lot of people trip like that, and they start, you know, developing the simulation theories. Like right. Maybe we're living through a simulation, which I don't know. Maybe you still have that theory. But instead of going full global simulation theory, you decided that pro wrestling was very likely a simulation. I did. Okay. And, and the global simulation theory is definitely there, but right. it's like, instead of going like, oh, it's all a simulation, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, no, like the only way you learn is to put boots to the ground. If you think this is fake, go find out. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go, you know, I had to go touch the bubble. And now that I'm in the middle of it, it's it's very real. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm glad I found out that I don't, now I don't have to do yeah, it. Yeah, it's real. You know, because I mean, I talk about this stuff. I meet wrestlers all the time but i've never see you're a good person to talk to i'd be like hold on you're telling me roman reigns is a real person be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, been a, I've seen him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so pretty crazy but we're confirming a lot of things yeah roman reigns is indeed a human being that exists a tribal chief man i've seen him and he is he's the head of the table for sure um okay so once you're once you start wrestling and you go like okay i have confirmed 
pro wrestling is not a simulation. At right. least at this level, it's real. So are you saying that the motivation at a point where it's like, okay, I, I got in the door. I know that the very introductory levels of wrestling are not a simulation. Yeah. What motivates you to continue is I have to keep finding out if these right. other levels are not a simulation as well. Exactly. I like, see. I kept believing that there would be a glass ceiling of like, you can achieve so much and get here. But like, if you're a top 40 radio star, you're a made up person. Like I went through a long period where uh, Ellie Golding, I don't think Ellie Golding is real. And that's okay. a whole different thing. But okay. I'm not going to find out unless I go meet Ellie Golding. And so in wrestling, I kept making these smaller goals that are built on the same goal of like, is this whole thing a sham? Is mm -hmm. this whole thing make believe? And so as these little goals get beat, yeah. and you're going, I just opened this door, and I opened this door, and now I'm having a match with Gangrel. Some of this stuff is real. I keep adding little things to go, let me keep testing it. And on the back end of that, I'm a little asshole. And I talked to my mom about it the other day, and she's like, you just like pushing people and seeing if you can mess with them. Right. And I've tried to take that energy and put it into kind of a positive sense in, in the world of wrestling and, and fixing things that I don't think are necessarily right. But... It's still me being a, a little bit of a dick going, hey, uh, you shouldn't do that. And seeing what happens. And as long as those bubbles are there to push and poke and pop, I'm going to keep seeing what that next level is and finding out. So you meet when you meet a guy like Gangrel on the indies and you have yeah. a match with him and you can confirm that this is a real person. And like I'm sure through speaking to him, you go and also his history in the WWE is real. Right. Do you talk to him and go like just, you know, to put this out on the table, edge because he's one of these top guys. Right. I know you're real. I need to know if you can let me know or not if Edge is a real person or is that like a it was is that CGI. I mean, I don't know. His neck was pretty bad. Either the doctors are miracle workers and we need to be thanking them graciously or like I don't know, he still could be a hologram. He could be. And I really need to start using this methodology to get more matches cuz I can just be like you're not real. <laughs> That's the fame. Yeah. Hey Triple H, you're not real. <laughs> yeah. You know? If you cut a promo Hey, wait, this guy doesn't think I'm real? <laughs> you're not real. Prove prove to me you're real. Yeah. I don't care about your championships. I don't care about what you've done in this business because you don't exist. Right. Not to me at all. At all. At all. In at general, all. you were created in a in computer. A lab. In a lab. And I mean, I thought that growing up looking at wrestlers, you go, oh, they're created in a lab. Like, look at these dudes. They're right. crazy muscular. They're wild. They're over the top. You don't see people like this at, at the grocery store. You don't see people like this at the bank. So you're going like, where did they come from? Where did these people even mm -hmm. appear from? There must be some system, some like they pull the kids out of kindergarten or maybe they just make them in a lab and say, you're going to be one of the wrestling entertainers. We've created you uh, to do this. Yeah, this is the natural extension of that like cartoon characters brought to life. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, okay, all right, okay. How do you bring a cartoon character to life? You can't. Cartoon characters don't they're, exist. Yeah, they're in a whole nother dimension, I think. Yeah. So, so, so this did this all come to you in that five days? Yes, it did. So it was you were intense. you were a wrestling fan, big wrestling fan. But I never thought you never think like, oh, you get into wrestling. You just go. There's people who are wrestlers. They are here to entertain us. Yeah, come enjoy the show. Uh, that's that's it. Right. There's no level for you to get. There's no back door for you to come sneak in. Right. There's no application process. Yeah, and I was mad at myself for thinking that. So I was like, well, I gotta go do this. Right. So I called a guy that gave me an eight by ten. This is, I got to tell you this. Yeah, please do. I had been going to the NXT shows when they were bad, like when they were at like middle schools in the middle of Florida. Uh -huh. yeah, some of them still are. And I'd met this guy outside the show. I couldn't start my car. He said, can I start your car? I said, yeah. He starts my car for me. Signs an 8x10. He's an indie wrestler. His name's White Trash Fred. He says, call me if you ever want to be a wrestler. You're big. 
was he wrestling on the show? No. He okay. was just hanging out. It's just a guy hanging out okay. from the area. I found him on Facebook, and he trained me for a year. White Trash Fred did? White Trash Fred. Okay. In a field in Florida, 100 and something degrees outside. Now, when White, when White Trash Fred, who found you in a parking lot at a wrestling show that he wasn't working on, trained you for a year in a field, yeah, does that add or detract from your theory that none of this is real life? I, I think it, it felt like real life. Like okay. I could smell the ring and I could smell the gotcha. forest and I could feel the bugs. And like, you're going out there for hours at a time. It's very hot outside. You feel the bumps. You feel the sweat. You feel your body going, oh, I'm, I'm gasping for air. It's it's real at that point. And I think like, in a sense, for myself personally, I'd, I'd almost accomplished the mission right there. Mm -hmm. I got in the ring. I, I saw how to do it. I put together a match. That's incredible. But then you get those little tastes of like, wait a second, there's another level and another level. You don't want to stop. You get very addicted to that of like, what is the next thing? What is the next spot? What is what is holding us back? Why are we cool with, you know, this indie show, we only draw 200 people. Well, why? There's a lot more people in your town. And when I started looking at the bigger picture of wrestling in that sense of like, why aren't we doing the next thing? Why aren't we going to the next level? There doesn't seem to be a restriction holding us back. That's where my frustration got like really big. I got gotcha. you. So when, like, at what point was it? When did you start wrapping your head around, like, okay, now that I've figured out this is real, and you know, also I would imagine that as you're spending more time in sobriety and right. getting all that out of your system, that the sort of psychedelics start to the the effects start to be a little bit more minimized. Yeah, it takes a little backseat. Yeah, you know? you're more like in the day to day of life. Right. Um, I think when you start getting to these shows and the human level of some of these people who are performers or who are in management or who are running these shows is starting to show itself, what you find is like, that's frustrating enough when you see people doing the wrong thing and not leading people in the right direction or not treating people fairly. But what was more frustrating was sort of the, the ho-hump about it of like, well, that's just how it is. And you're looking around at your peers who are supposed to be, you know, leaders who are supposed to be big names in wrestling who are supposed to be guiding us and they're sort of going well that's just how that goes you're like why why does it go that way well that's how it's always been and when that frustration takes you over it's like it's a bigger thing because you're going hold up i don't i can't stop at any point now because i'm gonna go home if i go home and sit on my butt and don't want to wrestle anymore i'm gonna be sitting in the th back of my head going oh man these shows are bad these people aren't getting paid these people are being treated poorly you know talents aren't getting the opportunities they need so it became sort of an incessant like i can't walk away when i started seeing the the results of what i was putting out and when when i opened my mouth when i was told not to open my mouth don't do this you'll be blacklisted don't do this no one will ever work with you every time i did that there was no consequence and all these people that i thought had power all along mm. never really had any power and so the more i've gotten up and the more sort of respected in the wrestling community i become and the more people i meet it seems like it is much easier for me to take a stance and say, you know what? No, I don't have to keep my mouth shut. Wrestling is just as much mine as it is anyone else's. And when I have opened my mouth, positive results have come from it. So the people that are saying, oh, it just stays this way, it stays this way, it got me even more motivated to just get in there and go, no, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And like you said, with the people behind you, my favorite thing to do is take money from promoters who don't really like me but know they need me to sell some tickets mm -hmm. because – that's where we win. When the fans are telling the promoters what they want to see at their shows and the promoters are going, we're going to do this instead. And their fans dwindle and dwindle and dwindle instead of going, you know what? If we, if we spend a little money or if we 
brought a, a couple weird things in that we maybe don't think will work, but they seem to be excited about when they take these risks, they're seeing like massive return on interest, truly. Right. So you don't have that thing where you need acceptance from like a promoter or a figure head type. Like you, you know, you let the kind of audience and the dollars tell the story of whether you're successful or not. I think so. But I think that they follow along with it. Yeah. You know, for as much as backstage you hear like, we're not going to give the fans what they want. We're going to give them what we're going to give them. And that, I know I'm kind of doing my Southern ass regular Jeff voice there. It's, <laughs> it's not always Southern people doing it, but that mentality of wrestling is also, we could talk all day on this. It's really built on that old school mindset of we got to get them to the live event. So we got to have the build of TV tapings with, with 50 people in there so we can get them to the live event. And instead of like moving with the times and getting with how technology has changed, how quickly we want information, they just go, no, we're going to let it sit another four months. The fans have moved on. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> at what point do you start? Because also, you know, I think it's interesting that you didn't come out until right around that same oh, yeah. time that you that you got sober, right? I mean, I feel like this is such a big part of the of your identity as fans know you. Yeah. The idea that you were, whatever you said, 23. Yeah. When you came out is like, so you're telling me there was a 23 year existence of Effie when he, he when he was not out I was I was not publicly out until that whole like I call it July 1st debacle because it was July 1st 2013 I was just like okay things are changing clearly and at that point I'm a full-grown adult I have a job I'm in management I'm running a moving company I've graduated from the University of South Carolina all my friends in college knew I was up to all sorts of things but in that time it's it's a little hard to explain I just spent time with my college buddy but like I, I was the party, and my dad once told me, he's like, you got to be careful with peer pressure. I, I was the peer pressure. I was the one going, like, should we do these Adderalls and drink Four loco and stay up till 6 in the morning? And in that same regard, it was that party aspect of, like, yeah, maybe he's with a girl, maybe he's with a guy, maybe he's with this, maybe right. he's around, of just sort of creating that hurricane of, like, there's such a chaos to him anyway that, like, of course, whatever. Instead of just going, like, hey, I feel this way it was easier for me to sort of dance in this big cloud of party mm -hmm. than just be honest about what I was doing. Right. And so when I'm 23, you're kind of like, you're, you're broken down by the drugs. Your parents are there. You think you're an adult and you're just like, let me just, let's just cut, cut it and be clean. Let's get it all out on the table. So like that opening moment, I think those first few years of wrestling, especially going in the South, being a heel, it's like therapy almost mm -hmm. because I'm spending all week in customer service, which is one thing. I'm spending all week acting pretty straight around, you know, employees that are blue collar that are, you know, not typically around a lot of gay people. I'm playing it pretty straight when I'm out on the weekends and, you know, Homer in the front row wants to cause a conniption. I'm going to pull a sweaty dollar bill out of my trunks and dump it on him and say, go get me a drink, honey. <laughs> now you and your wife both have something to think about. And it seems aggressive, <laughs> but it was working stuff out in me that was yeah. like there was sort of just easy hate able to flow out of me and in those 20 minutes where you're a heel and you're bad it's out of your system you're very calm afterwards but you start noticing people coming to you going you're like me we didn't feel comfortable going to the show until we saw you were here you know we heard there was a gay wrestler we wanted to come out and when you're faced with that sort of like hey you're helping a lot of people you don't have to be so angry you sort of shift what you're doing and it didn't shift my character as much i mean i'm still kind of that cocky little asshole who's gonna get into trouble anyway but when I am with fans and when I'm hearing from people, being that sort of person who isn't 
pushing you away and saying, oh, I'm a character, I'm this, I'm this, and saying, no, I'm like you, we're like each other, I'm glad you came to wrestling, you're allowed to like wrestling, mm -hmm. that's a big transition, and it's good I worked through that stuff, but it takes working through that stuff to realize, like, where your real role is, you know? Yeah, and I also have to, I, I have to think that the bravado that you're able to have as a heel, where you can shamelessly be confident in yourself. Yes. Probably when you're trying to find that real life confidence in yourself helps a lot because you know what it feels like to be shamelessly confident in yourself, which would eventually allow you in real life to get to this point where you can go, no, I can. There's no reason to have shame right, in right. anything I'm doing. I can be shamelessly confident in who I am in real life, and it doesn't have to make me a bad guy. Yeah. But I, the hate helped, too, because I recognized a lot of my privilege. Like, mm. I'm a six-foot-tall white male. I'm cisgender. At the end of the day, a six-foot-tall white male can get a lot of things done in the way the world is right now. And mm. I recognize that. And so when I have this hate hurled at me or when people are throwing slurs at me, you know, back in the day, this isn't an everyday thing. Um, and you're noticing that there are people who uh, don't have the same privileges as you coming saying, like, thank you for fighting back on that. And thank you for not just putting up with that. It's like okay, yeah, I'm a regular white dude, but I have now a responsibility with what I have been given with my physical body to make sure I am doing the right thing by these people. And there are people who can't stand up and yell you know, at somebody who's calling them bad names, but I can. And most of the time, you're not going to step to me in public, and I know that. So it's if I can be the aggressor when things are aggressive for someone who doesn't want to be aggressive, perfect. That's I'm happy to do it and take the bullets. And is that where like the pink leather jacket starts to come in and the fishnets come in and where it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to go as far and farther than you think we're going to go with this because I can't, because I can. Yes. Yeah. And, and because it, for me, somebody told me I was fashionable the other day. They say, you're very fashionable. I said, I'm not fashionable. I said, I'm Ronald McDonald. Every time right. you see Effie, you're going to get Effie and fishnets and black boots and trunks. And they're going to say daddy or Effie. And you're going to see a jacket that is, gay colored and aggressive and can anybody else dress up like that yeah of course but when you can immediately identify like okay here's the pantyhose boy in a spike pink jacket you know it's gay you know it's aggressive and then from there when the jacket's off and the match starts you're wondering a lot of, of where this is going to go and i try to take it to both of those places i want to have that gay energy and then i want to be awoken in that match to realize like oh crap i'm in a fight and when that aggressive side comes back out and that part wakes up, you get a whole new dimension to what you expected from me. And it's also really interesting because I think it, it it starts to normalize some of this too. Like when you can get yourself to a place in the match where we forget you're wearing fishnets. Right. And when we're not even thinking about the fact that it says daddy on the back of your tights anymore, now this whole subculture that maybe some people look at as like, oh, I don't know what all that is. Like that becomes normalized and you're like, Oh yeah, like I, I didn't even think of this when I saw Effie mid match, and now I see it on this and person, I'm... and I don't think of, like that's not the thing that I associate. I, I look at this person as a human being who happens to be wearing what yeah. I saw Effie wearing, right? I think it's an invitation too, because we're for for as much of a sex focused society as we are, we are still very as a culture uh, averse to discussing anything sexual because. You know, it's not good for the kids. It's not good for this, not good for that. But like we, we all were birthed of unless you're a wrestler who's made in a test tube, we are all birthed <laughs> of sex. So it is a common constant. And when people come to me and they say, you know, I would never say this to anybody else, but you look pretty good in them fishnets. 
I'm glad people are able to get that little thing out of their system. I can be their little secret zone. Mm-hmm. I remember like the first few years, people were like, do you deal with a lot of homophobia backstage? I was like, I deal with a lot of guys flirting with me that I wouldn't expect. Mm. But it seems like opening that door a little bit and being as vibrant and out as I am, they feel a little more comfortable being in that glow versus like, I have to have my own glow and be out and be proud. It's like, hey, you know, sometimes I have those thoughts too. And it's like, it sounds silly, but it's very important for people to talk about that stuff and feel comfortable. And if we can open that door by me just being out and wild and crazy, good, learn something about yourself. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm assuming you know pretty quick, like just on energies. I mean, the same way like anybody of any gender kind of knows, oh, this person, like when you're talking about people backstage, this person isn't necessary. Like this energy I'm picking up from this person is not a normal, pure friendship energy. Like yeah. there's something else going on here. I, I would imagine that you, even if, maybe the person talking to you isn't fully comfortable and aware of it yet that you probably pick up on that right away. You get ideas. I I've learned to try to not make assumptions too though. Yeah. Like I, you know, not to jump around, but like the toughest thing for me now is people do want to give me that attention and it's not always because they are attracted to me. And sometimes with where we are at in me booking shows and me being a bigger part of GCW, I want to make sure people know like, this is still my job. When I'm doing things out here and I'm doing things in the ring and it's ridiculous, everything is discussed amongst the performers. Nobody's doing anything they don't want to do. When I'm backstage, I'm getting ready for my performance. Mm-hmm. I'm going home to my boyfriend. We've been together five years. I don't want people thinking, oh, well, if I flirt with him, if I get around him, if I pretend to be gay, if I tell him I'm this, oh, I'll get more opportunities. And it sounds so backwards now, but like we did, we were going to do the Bicurious Battle Royal. And the whole riff of this thing at the first Effie's Big Gay Brunch was, all these guys who are basically straight are going to be in this battle royal. We're going to have it interrupted by gay people and say, you know, forever y'all told us to act straight. And now y'all want to be on our show so bad because we got a little bit of clout. And now we're going to beat you up with chairs. Mm-hmm. And it's a stupid little angle, but it's sort of the the mindset of like, you have to be careful now of honoring everyone who's coming out and making sure you honor, you know, their commitment to themselves to come out and be good. And being careful that we're booking the right kinds of shows. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's going to come to me to be on the gay shows. Everybody's going to come to me, you know, to be a part of that, whether they're going to try to flirt or whether they're going to try to talk their way in or whether they're going to send me a really long therapeutic email that somebody else should probably read about. They're coming out to me now and want to be a part of it. It's it's a delicate balance to make sure we're providing a really good show for the fans and also providing really good representation, but also doing it the proper way because wrestling has not always been done in the most proper ways. Mm-hmm. Half the time you're sitting around going like, well, why is he booked there? Why are they booked there? It's probably for reasons you don't want to hear about or you don't want to know about. And that's not in all cases, but with a delicate subject that we're in now, with the world being a little gayer, you know, each and every day, we want to make sure we're doing things the right way when we're trying to promote this representation. Right. And that, that you know, you play a sexualized character, but that's not to say that we're here to sexualize the entire no. gay lifestyle. And also, right, that, like, this isn't you get it, like, you emphasizing that you're running a business here, that right. Effie is a business. This isn't you getting your kicks off no. in God, the no. wrestling ring, right? No, I'm I'm so boring. Sorry to tell people. I'm very, <laughs> very boring. But, but having me be as loud and out and as extremely gay as I can be, I think it opens up doors and affords opportunities for people who, are in the same boat as me, are in the same sexuality as me, or are just a member of the LGBTQ community, and they go, I don't want that to be my whole character. I don't want that to be everything about me. I don't want that to be me. You don't have to. 
if I can go in and be aggressive, I'm not saying you need me 100%, but it's a little easier when I go out there and force a ring announcer to announce my tag team as bussy. Mm-hmm. The, the room <laughs> then goes, something weird's going on here. So then when you have talent later who are of the same vein and not as aggressive about it, there's nothing even weird there. There's not the whispers or the chatters of, I think that one's a gay one. It's th- This has been so gay that you can now freely float and we're proud of you. We're happy you're here. We want to support your talent, but you don't have to go out there and, you know, hold the butt plug up every time. <laughs> right. I'll do it for you. <laughs> and that's good of you to do that. That's, and, you know, that's, so, somebody's got to take on that burden, man. <laughs> but you're ripping the Band-Aid off, right? Of course. You're tearing it right off, right from the beginning. This is what this is. Now we can just relax and enjoy the rest of right. the show. Right? right. And that's the whole point. So at what point, because I think that a lot of people who might have started in the same way as you, which is, I know wrestling on TV. I know wrestling as a fan. I don't know what this is, though. I don't understand the business at all. And also, it could be a simulation. It could be fake. Like, the idea that you're able to go from that space to a space where, like, you feel an ownership of it. You were just yeah. talking about how you feel like you can go and say, you you don't have to do it this way. You can do it this way. Right. I understand the wrestling business, at least to what I do in it. And... And I, I, I don't have to listen to everybody giving me advice. You know, that's somebody that has zero imposter syndrome whatsoever. And I think yeah. that imposter syndrome pops up a lot with people who get in without a knowledge of it and never quite stop feeling like the student. So, like, at what point did you feel comfortable enough in it where you were like, no, I get it and I, I get my part and I'm I'm secure in that? I think I think it was little bits at a time because I didn't come in with a real trainer. And if you're in Florida and you don't have a real trainer, you're really not getting booked. So you're telling of, me White Trash Fred is not. I mean, he a real is a, trainer. He is a professional wrestler, but he does not have like a like a school. I see. You know, not. I wasn't trained at Team 3D. I wasn't trained with Jay Lethal. I wasn't, you know, going up to Lance Storm School. And I think I would have gained a lot of knowledge there. But also, there's sort of that punk rock attitude of like, now nah, I'm just going to get in there. Mm-hmm. And the more I got in there. I, having no emotional attachment to it, you notice that certain trainers are not leading people in a direction to get over because they want them to have reps and reps and reps and reps. And, you know, this match, you're going to get one move in and you're going to bump nine times and you're not going to get over till I say you are. And when you start looking around at the people who hold the power, you go, he's never gotten over and he's never been anywhere outside of the state and he's never even worked for any of the major companies. Why are we taking direction from people who can't pay their bills doing this job? Why are we listening to people who the only reason they are able to stay in this industry is because you paid them $4,000 times 30 times however many people are in your class. And you're not seeing them every week working on TV. You're not seeing them go out and do stuff, but they know and they know everybody and they're going to tell you exactly how to do it. I go back to Florida. I see guys that have been there five, six years. We've been wrestling a long time. Nothing has changed because they've listened to this leadership in this direction and I can shout it from the rooftops and I'm not. I've even started doing some seminars, which to me sounds crazy. But what I tell them is, I, I don't want to teach you to be me. Mm-hmm. I want you to be able to have success on your own and pick the path for you. I don't think WWE is for everyone, but that doesn't mean it's a bad path. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's for me, but that doesn't mean it's a bad path. There are all these different ways to make your money in wrestling. And by listening to one person, you're not going to get the whole story. Yeah, You've got to take the information from everybody. But these cats are like military soldiers. They hear one person who taught them how to bump. They will listen to everything they say. 
And even if you tell them a good idea, they're going to go, well, I don't know. He doesn't think it's a good idea for me to do that. It's silly. And it keeps you treading water instead of getting bigger and getting better and getting in front of new people. Did I have to scheme it in a little bit at first? Yeah. But once I got the opportunities and was able to go out there, it's like word spreads a little bit, you know? Yeah. When you yeah. can do the job, word spreads. And I've heard you talk about your tax returns, and like that's what you say. Just look at my tax returns, and that's the the proof is in the pudding there. Yeah. And I, I do feel like an Effie seminar sounds to me like it's one of those things where it's partly, you know, you go to college, and you learn about physics, and you yeah. learn about math, and you learn about all this stuff, but you don't learn how to balance a checkbook. And it's like there's this whole other side of business where it's like, I feel like there's a space for an Effie finishing school, right? Where oh, it's like, yeah. you know your headlocks, you know your wrist locks, you know how to run the ropes. Let me tell you how to make some money here. Let me tell you. And once you make money, let me tell you what to do with the money. Well, and I keep a mysteriousness to the Effie stuff. And like, I'm not going to go over my whole resume with you, but like, I've done some things. And coming into wrestling at 23, I'm already managing a business. I've graduated from college. I spent a year working for Hootie and the Blowfish. Learned a lot there. Uh, I've toured with bands. I've done all of this. So coming into wrestling, I wasn't, oh, I just turned 18, I'm going to be a wrestler, this is my dream. It was, hey, I have bills to pay, I have a real job, I have things going on, I'm going to do what works for me, I'm going to do what makes me money, and if it doesn't work for me, I'm probably not going to go back and do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that hard line to wrestlers, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, you take every show, you take every booking, you do everything. You don't have to. And by being a little careful and being an adult, I found greater success faster. And so when I bring this to people, I go, look, I look at this only as a business. I know it's a dream, but don't ever let your dream be a percentage of your money because mm -hmm. that happens all the time. Oh, you better just do it. You'll lose a lot, but you got you got to have the opportunity. You better fly yourself there and show face and show them you really mean it. Am I going to miss out on opportunities by not doing that? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you got to eat it and go take an opportunity. But I've also set myself up to where like, I'm not worried about where my next meal is coming from. I'm not worried about where my next month is coming from. I'm making car payments. I'm paying for my rent. Uh, my boyfriend quit his job in December. It wow. Was just, it was crazy. Well, he got a new job. But there's this period where for three months, me, Effie, Effie's paying the bill. Yeah. Everything. Because I'm able to say, yo, quit your job and find a better job. This job sucks. And he found a way better job. And wow. I never thought that was possible in wrestling outside of, taking a tv contract and the way i do it i explain it to people i go look there's not one line of revenue you got to have a hundred little chunks that you're mm -hmm. getting into but when you can figure out what your chunks are and why people are coming to you you can make more sense of that and actually you know put a little away did you watch wrestling with hootie dude we never got to watch wrestling together uh, he's such a wrestling fan but yeah during that time like darius was starting his solo stuff um but I think he taught me a little bit of just like, you're allowed to make demands. And I know it's it's Darius Rucker. It's Hootie. They can make demands. Mm -hmm. But he's on the phone with NASCAR. You know, the I'm watching the manager on the phone with NASCAR, and he's on the phone with Darius. There's NASCAR's going, you got to do this. Darius doesn't want to. You got to wear this shirt. Darius doesn't want to. You got to be here then. Darius doesn't want to. Okay. That's what they said. Okay. And so when I see a lot of my friends taking the first piece of paper in front of them. And it's not from the Fed. It could be from anywhere. Mm -hmm. The first piece of paper in front of them, boom, they're going to sign it. They're going to get the deal. Then they're stuck for three years somewhere, or it's a bad deal, or now they own all of your likeness. Having that careful edge and having that ability to go, 
what's the worst thing that happens if I say no? Are they going to come back? Do they really want me? Do they really want me to be a part of this? Saying no is phenomenal. And I don't think I would have known that as an 18-year-old coming in versus, hey, I'm 23. Yeah, no, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's right. Now, also, but when you say, when you talk about, uh, you know, big corporate wrestling entities and, and you say, you know, you don't think WWE is for you, do you also, like, kind of in the back of your head know that, like, wrestling is constantly changing? Oh, yeah. And that's not just on the independent scene. It's kind of changing on the independent scene first. But maybe today WWE wouldn't work for you or today AEW wouldn't work for you. But that's not to say a year from now things won't be completely different, right? It, or, it, or wrong. It could be completely different. But I'm also in a really weird position where I said this to somebody the other day. I said, if my boot touches the soil, I've tainted the gold, uh -huh. which is how do you exist outside of what we have been told is necessary for so long? Not to dog on any product anywhere or anything. <laughs> is there a way to exist as a mainstream cultural figure from the world of wrestling without ever having cable television put a spotlight on you? I think it's possible. And I won't find out the end of that experiment if I take the other way. I mean, this goes back to literally how you started your career. I know. This, this is, is why it. my career is going to be harder than everyone's because I can't give up on myself in these stupid ideas I have. So, like, like, to an extent, even if, let's say, they were like, okay, we're doing, like, some crazy stuff over mm -hmm. in NXT, you know, like, you know, I, I, I think there was a period of time where people were like, WWE is WWE, and then NXT started bringing in Finn Balor and Kevin Owens yeah. and, like, all yeah. these guys, and it's like, oh, this is a different thing now. Even if they did that again, and it was like, oh, this makes perfect sense, and Effie showing up at a takeover can make a big splash... You have locked into this idea on, yeah, but you don't need that. And I won't prove that. And also it won't be true right? unless I'm the one who does it. The same way you have to hold up the dildo so that everybody else doesn't have to. Yeah, You have to prove that you can do this without that so that the person who doesn't get that opportunity Knows, doesn't need that opportunity. Yeah, knows it's possible and, and knows knows they can do it. It's and it sounds like it sounds really anti, you know, when you hear it out loud, but it's it's not. And it's sort of I just want to put that challenge up. And in wrestling, I've never seen anyone get over who follows the rules. And when I look across everybody, they're all following the rules. You know, there's a very set system at both of these companies on how you're gonna get into the company. You're either super over on the indies and they'll bring you in and, and maybe get rid of you in a couple weeks, or you go through the program that they have set up and both places have a program and that's great and that's good. But there's so much knowledge I have learned out on the independent circuit and out doing these shows and dealing with a hundred million different bosses that you have every day that I think if I went into that system now, I would probably back talk too much, but <laughs> I look at the ratings. I pay attention to cable. I pay attention to the numbers that come in. Everybody tells me Tony Khan's a numbers guy. They say you and Tony would get along. He's a numbers guy. So we'll prove it. Because if he's looking at cable ratings, he's not a numbers guy. The ratings have nothing to do with anything but your advertisement. It doesn't have to do with the way that you are placating the, the nation or the way that your media is being taken in. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who watch wrestling who will never have cable. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who watch wrestling who will do it illegally, whether they care about it or not, or whether they are trying to stop it or not. Instead of fighting these things, which, you know, I understand fighting the illegal streams, why not look at how your information is spreading? Why not pay attention to what is getting over on TikTok? 
Why not pay attention to, hey, wait a second, this half second clip of Jericho on TikTok of, you know, somebody roasting him or something going on, people are going crazy over it. Why don't we work more into that media space? Why don't we see what we can gain from this? Because I say this as someone who streams on Twitch every week. Mm -hmm. I saw the NXT ratings one day and they were like 680,000. Mm -hmm. And I did a two hour stream on the front page and had 251,000 people, unique viewers come into my stream. Mm -hmm. My revenue is not going to be the same as NXT for their 680,000. But my viewership is half of what yours is just showing indie wrestling because I've been given a spot in this Twitch page to see if I can keep people in. And then I've got Twitch calling me going, your, your retention rate is incredible. You have knowledge of this product. You're walking them through it. There's so much diversity to the product you're showing. And people who never knew wrestling was anything like this are finding out about it. The problem with the indies hasn't been that uh, we don't have the best product out there. It's that we have never had distribution. And that line is gone now. Cable was necessary for a very long time. I thought the network was a great thing. I think it's good to be able to say, hey, there's 15 million Peacock subscribers that have access to WWE content, but they don't give a crap. And when you have a dedicated million or million and a half people who were there and wanted those archives and one of those things, they, they missed the boat, I think, a little bit on the jump. They probably made a lot of money. But long term, how far can you push people before they start going, I don't know if they really care about us here. And when you put that care back into the fans and take that time with the fans and ask the fans what they want in their product, we have seen the return with it. And we've seen the ability to do it. I'm going to say this as safe for work as possible. People tell me, they say, when we watch some wrestling on TV, it feels like we've got to keep waiting and keep waiting and keep waiting, which is good. It's tension. It builds just like Westworld, just like uh, any HBO show. You've got to have long-term tension. But they said it feels like we're allowed to bust at the GCW show every time. Right. You know, WWE, you might get two really big busts a year, but it feels like at a GCW show, you're busting all the time. And that is on purpose. It's us saying, hey, I'm going to do the coolest thing possible. I hope you can all keep up. And the rest of the locker room is so motivated by that versus we better make sure we protect this person because they're not that good. But we really we already paid for them and we didn't know they weren't good till they got here and this and this. With GCW, it's what is going to be good, what is going to get people's attention. Sometimes that is long-term storytelling. I mean, we just saw with Nick Gage and Ricky Shane Page, I mean, some massive heat. Mm -hmm. um, especially going back to the showboat tomorrow, Run Ricky Run, there are people throwing bottles at Ricky Shane Page. I mean, this is like the 80s. Mm -hmm. We have those moments of the long-term, but the fans nowadays, with social media, with the way we were able to get everything as quickly as possible, we need to bust. We are not of the generation that can wait four weeks to show up to the big show and do it. We got to do it. And that's why people keep coming back. Because if you miss a GCW show, you're not just going to miss little storyline things. You might. But you're going to miss big moments. And you might catch a clip. But when you're in the zone and you're watching these things live, you know there's going to be big moments. You know there's going to be big things that go off. And we want to make sure we provide that for you. Instead of saying, like, they'll get the big moment down the line. And I see WWE doing some things where... You bring back Goldberg, it gets a pop. It's big. It's Goldberg. Well, and then next year, you bring back Goldberg, and it's a pop. And it seems like instead of going, you know what? We can take all these new talents that we have in. We have the Performance Center. We have the best place in the world. We can really push these things and do some weird stuff. All these guys who have their talent now who are in their peak are not getting that chance to bust as often as whoever feels like coming back from 92 to 99. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I want to talk about your, your busting. Because you're right. You're right about the philosophy, and you're right about the, the, the way the internet has sculpted things. I mean, I've had 
conversations. Not it's not even about wrestling. It's about entertainment. Like memes are not just something that you laugh at. Like memes are everything. Right. Like memes are the way people communicate. Memes are the way people take in entertainment. Like it's just memes. That's right. it. That's it's it's literally everything. Um, you had a couple of moments at the last uh, at the time of this recording. GCW weekend in Atlantic City, which was Zombie Walk and Tournament of Survival. Yes. And the first one, uh, I really, really enjoyed because, I mean, I enjoy both of them, obviously, but the first one I loved because it was one of these moments where even a non-wrestling fan or even, like, you don't have to be anybody that understands anything about anything and you know how much damage this is causing, how bad this hurts, and that's your... You're in a match with a, a death match with a gentleman named G. Raver, who's a death match legend. Yes. And you get to this place in the match where your your back is completely scratched up and bloody. Like it's just open wounds all over your back, light tubes and just torn it to and glass and torn it to shreds. <laughs> and G. Raver gets you uh on the top rope, on it over his knees. Yeah. Like almost like spanking, but like like your your butt was off his your back is flat across his knees. And he grabs a bag of salt and vinegar potato chips. Yep. And he, and it's like, these aren't gimmicked potato chips. It's a fresh bag from Kroger's or wherever. And he opens it. You could it. smell them in the room. Like, everyone was like, we could smell them in the room. And he opens it up, and he takes out, like, handfuls. And he takes a bite. And that's like that magician's trick of going, like, see, it's not a not a trick it's potato a real, chip. real chips. And, he's, and he spreads it. He scrunches it up all into your back and it's one of those things like yeah oh he even, mashed it in even if it's i don't care and it's not but even if you could say even if somebody's watching gcw for the first time and they're like the barbed wire's fake and it's sugar glass and they're fake light tubes and it's it's like oh i know those cuts are real and i know yeah that salt and vinegar potato chips in a sliced up back sucks it does but see you saying that we we did what we wanted to do. Yeah. Because for me, I see a lot of deathmatch, obviously. And there can be a tendency to go, well, it's a better deathmatch if you break more things. And to me, the heart of deathmatch is surviving torture. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, to me, yeah, you can have a ton of glass, and we did. And you can have a ton of barbed wire, and we did. You can have all of these things. But when a fan can connect with, with an amount of pain, everybody's had a cut on their hand and reached into their salt and vinegars and gone, oh, that's horrible. Now you know my whole back is cut up. There is there is something undeniable and wincing about that pain. It's the same reason as like you'll see in that same match, and this is a whole different thing. But we did a spot where he go, I pull him up for a power bomb, and he gives me the meteora, and I made sure that my head was going to clip that chair. I didn't want to go through that chair. Mm -hmm. I wanted to clip that chair because when you visually see my head clip and bounce off the chair, it sounds very dangerous. It was fine. It is so much more devastating than, oh, well, of course the chair crunched under him. You know, when that chair is just bent and you see me whack off it, it is a little more damaging than just, oh, he hit a chair. You can you can kind of feel that better. And even with the whole setup of the match, I come out in this white jumpsuit. He's putting tubes in my back. The blood is there, but it's seeping through the fabric. Right. So it takes you a moment to recognize, oh, these are really cutting him through. And then by the time that is off, my wounds are revealed. Now he's running salt and vinegar into my my wounds. It's even worse. And building those levels of torment, that's what deathmatch is to me. You know, we can go all the way. We can go as crazy as possible. But those moments where people are like, I legitimately am grossed out. This is horrible pain. I can tell. Versus like big explosions. Those are exciting. 
But when you're thinking about it later and you're going, that man had a whole bag of chips dumped into his wounds, <laughs> it's it sticks with you. And yeah. like there's magic to that. And you're right about the 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 wincing thing, because like as a fan, I would assume getting thrown into barbed wire sucks. It's not fun. I would assume getting thrown through glass sucks. I would assume a light tube sucks, but none of these things have ever happened to me. I would hope not. None of them. It doesn't happen in day-to-day life. Yeah. But the idea that at some point you thought your cut was healed, but it hasn't fully scabbed over, and you took a handful of chips, you know what that feels. Now I can magnify this pain across my entire back, and the empathy is there. And it stays in there. Those little chip pieces stay in there. It It was there. It was... Yeah, I mean, what was that? What was that deathmatch shower like? Uh, Trying to get the chips and the salt out. I mean, horrible. it's not the chip, right? It's yeah. the salt and the vinegar. And I the... think parts of the chip like scabbed over into me. Ah. Like, I think I am partially <laughs> potato chips, salt and vinegar chips. Yeah. I know I have a piece of glass in my elbow still, but that was from Paro. So there's stuff in me that will reflect this mm-hmm. uh, forever, and hopefully, I become a salt and vinegar chip. Do you do you, do you like that? Like like in hindsight, is it like a tattoo almost, where it's like I kind of like this little piece of glass is in me because it reminds me of this or is it like no i don't want to take things this i'm far. i'm trying to get this piece of glass out of me <laughs> sam i can't do it i like the little scarring my boyfriend does not um but, but with that death match too with that pain there is a whole nother level of adrenaline that comes out when you can feel your own blood on you mm-hmm. that like if i'm in a regular match i'm going like all right here's my moments where i'm going to take my breath and where i'm good if i'm in a death match i don't even have to think about that because the moment you feel your own blood on you and you feel that pain your body overcompensates and you start getting crazy, which is, I mean, why you see some of the craziest stuff happen in these death matches. There is such an adrenaline push that even something like those chips, the, the magnitude of pain that I'm feeling, pushing through that and screaming through that and then getting ready for whatever else we had to do, it's like you don't even worry about it then. But like the days after when you're walking like a 70-year-old and wincing at everything, you know it's real then. But in those moments, you're like, this is crazy. Yeah. So one night removed from that was Zombie Walk. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it was just so great. And I I think part of the reason it was so great was because the fan reaction on this spot was like so much fun. They were like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna. Mouth to mouth kiss. Yep. With Manser, right? With Mance Warner. Mance Warner, baby. And then the staple gun comes out. And it's like, he's not going to, because we've seen the staple gun so much. Oh, yeah. But never in this fashion. I don't think I've ever seen it in this no. fashion. I've watched a lot of wrestling, too. And you staple gun yours and Mance's lips together. Yeah. And <laughs> I was just shooting them off. I mean, there was a lot of staples in there, because I wanted to make sure we were really good and attached. I'm going into the tongue and the lips which, and everything. Which, by the way, normal wrestling logic is there's not even any staples in the gun at all. Right. It's just you're hearing the clicking yeah. sound. But no, so you were going staple after staple. Staple after staple. Oh. And with Mance, Mance doesn't care about staples. The SGC guys are just crazy, which I'll, it's AJ Gray and myself and Manders and uh, Matthew Justice. And occasionally Eddie Kingston, Eddie's, Eddie's busy. But on the indie <laughs> run, it's us guys. And when I look at Manser, I go, what if, we, what if we stapled our tongues together during the kiss? He was like, oh, hell yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. And someone online immediately was like, I don't understand the psychology of this. Uh-huh. And I said, how could you not? Manser's one of my best friends. I fight him, but if we're kissing, I want to kiss him forever. And if I staple our tongues together, this kiss will last a lifetime. Try me with the psychology. My psychology is going to check out. Maybe not for you, but for me, the psychology checks out perfectly. And like you said, I mean, like the meme clip of that goes up. Yeah. It was very painful, though. And I wasn't very good at aiming. Yeah. So two of the staples 
it's, this is hard to describe. You know, the shape of a staple is kind of like a C, mm-hmm. like an arch. Mm-hmm. They went in the side of both of our tongues, two separate staples, and they went all the way in curved. And so you see us both go to separate corners after our tongues are removed because this staple has gone so deeply into our tongue, we have to pull it all the way out like oh a my piercing. Gosh. And we both have the same thing. And I remember Ref Chris came up to me. He goes, are you good to go for the finish? I said, give me eight seconds to get this out of my mouth. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of blood with your tongue. And so I'm like gagging on the blood and I'm trying to get this staple out. And I'm going, I'm so stupid. <laughs> and I've got to feed up and it's, but it's a, it's a moment and no one's done it before. And we're one of the first and people remember that they remember yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. I also just love like, it's like, well, no, I wasn't trying to damage my opponent. I wanted to kiss him yeah. for the rest of my life. The and... damn good kisser that man, sir. <laughs> How else are you going to be able to do that? I got this. I just remembered. Yeah. I have a staple gun. We can, we can attach it. It's going to work. <laughs> now, you see, when I explain it like that, you're like, this makes a lot of sense. It makes perfect sense. Do you think about that? Like, at what point do you go like, okay, stapling our tongues together, that's a great idea. Let me figure out the psychology behind this. Oh, yeah, obviously. To kiss forever. Yeah, he's my boy. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Why else would we be best friends? He, he puts up with a lot. <laughs> you got to do a little uh, hydrogen peroxide swish after that one just to be sure. Does it does it kill? Yeah, it, it kills all the bacteria there. And it, but does it hurt like really bad? Uh, it's a, it it's a, not as bad as the staples going in. I guess so. It, it is. I'll forget. Uh, you know, I occasionally smoke cannabis now as a therapeutic means, and I'll forget when I do things like this. So a few days after, I remember eating, like, did I eat something hot? Did I burn my tongue? What happened? Oh. You stapled it to Manser. <laughs> so I have to constantly kind of remind myself that, you know, you, you reap what you sow. Yeah. Like, now, after a match like that, do you guys like go, that was awesome. It worked perfectly. Or do you guys go, well, why, what, what did we just do? Uh, there was a little bit of that. What, what are y'all doing? But I think there's like, there's so much absurdity in what we do anyway. And especially with the SGC guys, there is a, method to the madness of making sure we are bringing this crazy outlaw spirit everywhere we go and when people see us they know it's like they're crazy they're gonna go wild and it's not saying we have to injure ourselves by any means but they do want to see us take it to the next level so we're constantly braining with each other of like what is that next step what is that next weird thing what's that thing that's going to stand out not so we get over but just so like the show is more wild and enjoyable so did the did you guys get together just because you kind of met traveling the indies and realized you had similar psychologies to the business yeah we were the only we were the only ones still awake at the end of the night and we said we <laughs> probably should keep hanging out together uh it, there's definitely that aspect of like there's business and there's party and when you have your when you have your entire 24-hour day built around 20 minutes right like, yeah and you do it every week and you do it multiple times a weekend you know when to go into business mode and when to get ready and when to have your match and when to be on that on that time and ready to go but when it's done, I'm not walking on eggshells backstage. I'm not worried about who I need to talk to. I'm not talking to my producer. We're done. We know what we've done. I'll check in and say, cool, cool. And we live as wrestlers. I mean, when I think back to Harley Race, I'm not thinking about like, I bet Harley went to the hotel room early and watched Dateline alone. You know, Harley was out there with the people. He was at the bar. He's, you know, partying. He's on the road. And part of being a wrestler and what drives you to want to be a wrestler is a little bit of that hecticness and that wildness and that, you know, ability to just kind of be out here and be an outlaw. But and you can maintain your sobriety. I'm the even DD. with the wildness going on. I'm the DD for them. Yeah, I'm the SGC DD, and I'm like I'm up <laughs> anyway. And especially after a match, I'm gonna be out and about and talking. And I'm a very social person. I love talking with people. So 
when we're at these shows and together, like I may not see these people all the time, especially, you know, when the bookings are different or if we're at smaller shows, I'm of the thought that like, Hey, I'm going to have Tuesday to sleep, but I'm not going to get to see my friends for another couple weeks. I better hang out with them while I can. And there's a lot of wrestlers who come in and there's a different environment to it now. And it's awesome. If that's, if what drew you to wrestling was just like the between the bell and the match. Awesome. That's perfect. But there's so much more to me to being a wrestler in that context where we are superstars and we are out on the town and people do want to take pictures with us and people do want to see us out in public and, and see what we are like when we're not in the ring. And we want to give that to them to a certain extent, not that they can come all the way into the life, but like, we're not going to go hiding from you. We're not going to pretend that they're not going to have a couple beers after the show. They're probably going to go to the bar and hang out. It's, it's a part of that culture. That's like, this is cool. And this is wrestling. And we don't go to nine to five jobs. We don't wake up at, you know, 7am to get to our work anymore we can afford these times to bond with ourselves and having that amount of bonding time and having people who are saying, yeah, like I want to hang out too. You create these, these really strong bonds and, and connections with your friends. And especially like with GCW going as much as they are now and we're around each other a lot. There's a, there's a comfort level of travel of knowing like, well, this may be weird, but like, I know my boys are there. And I know like, even if we go to a weird place after somebody invites us somewhere, like we've got our backup, we've got our team. There's not the worry of like, I can't just go walking into some random thing. It's like, let's go see what happens. What are they going to do to us? Right, right. We've got all of us. Speaking of your friends uh, uh, and the people that you feel close to in wrestling, uh, Allie Catch sat where you sat not all that long the ago best. here in the Not Sam studio. Yeah, I had an amazing time with her. Um, how does uh, how does Bussy form? I feel like Bussy is far more than a a tag team partnership. I almost feel like it's a lifestyle, to tell you the truth. Okay, so... This is one thing that I think connects Bussy more than anything, and it may not make sense to you. We both played viola in middle and high school. <laughs> okay. Okay? And you may not know this. I don't. If anyone's in orchestra, they know this. Viola players are weird. Really? We, like, orchestra kids are weird, mm -hmm. but, like, a violin weird is a very different weird than a viola weird. Viola weird is, like, uh, we should sneak off of the trip and go get into trouble weird versus, like, I have to practice every note and be perfect violas can kind of chill in the background they have the party they bring the energy oh. and so knowing that about us we were hanging out a lot of shows anyway but we had that match it was one of the first shows when covid began where we were outdoors in indianapolis and me and ali had that match and brett goes y'all aren't opponents i was like what do you mean he goes y'all are a tag team and he kind of like saw it and he kind of you know saw our friendship saw the way we work together plus when you're doing hotels and you don't know where to put a girl and you don't know where to put a gay boy, it's really easy to just stick them together. Right. And so we're rooming together all the time anyway. Uh -huh. And when we first told him, we're like, we're going to, we're going to do the tag team, Brett, like book us to do the tag team. He was like, cool. What do you want to be called? And we were like, well, you know, at that time she was still alley cat. I said, well, she's a pussy cat and I'm gay and a gay pussy is a bussy, which is a butt pussy. And so that's our tag team name. And for the first three events, he would not put that as our tag team name. Uh -huh. And other places we were getting booked at started putting it as our tag team name. And I remember being in Atlantic City, and I think it was for Zombie Walk, when MLJ takes the mic and he says, this is bussy. And everyone cheered. I was like, you know, if my grandma could see me now in front of a thousand people in, in the showboat casino in Atlantic City, and they're cheering for my made-up gay terms that we have called our tag team. And there's sort of like still that punk ethos of like, we're going to make you say bussy. Yeah. And we're going to make you participate in this. And we're a good tag team and you're going to deal with it. Um, and I think recently 
we got to kind of like extend that story. You know, with Ali becoming Ali Cash, there was this big question of like, well, Effie's not that. Effie's not this serious break your arms wrestler. How do they continue to coexist? And I kind of joked and I was like, we're forever. Like, you can't break us apart. We had this big match where she defeats me. She taps me out. And if you look at our historical matches, I've been pinned in every match that we have lost. And so for her to defeat me and say, you need to keep it in check. You need to make sure you're following my lead. I'm the dominant of this bussy now. There is a bigger story to why we are still together and why we work together. We may have differences. She may go in different directions, but our connection is bigger than just, oh, well, they used to be a tag team and now she's doing a different gimmick and she's over there. It's like, we're a tag team no matter what. And whether we're tagging together or not, we're still in each other's corners. And that's cool. Like even at TOS, she came out and took my vape for me. Mm-hmm. It meant the world to have someone walk me out there and be on my team before I go bleed out. It's when your friendships are that strong, it's very easy to remain tag partners with them. And I kind of feel like too, Ali Catch being Ali Catch now, it can kind of be an X Pac and Kane vibe. She's Kane. Oh yeah. You're X Pac. You I know, love you could still I could still do suckets. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. No, yeah. she is, and she brings that seriousness to it. And and especially, you know, the way we've started working together, there is still that wild Effie in there. But like when Ali comes in. Like, it's a different room. I remember looking up. I had, we had a tag match in Las Vegas, and I jumped out of the ring, and I was on the floor, and I look up, and she's throwing these Terry Punk, Terry Punk, Terry Funk dusters into this girl's throat and just railing this girl in the face. And I was going, oh, she is Alley Catch. That cat is dead. Yeah. She was just throwing him. And then afterwards, of course, Two Cold Scorpio comes up, and she, he goes, Alley, I saw you throw a forearm earlier in the match. Yeah. And then I saw you throw a punch. Goes, yeah, just keep punching them, keep punching them right in the face. It was beautiful. And so the fact that legends are coming and saying like, hey, the stuff you're shifting to and the stuff you're doing, you're in the right direction. That confidence for her to go in is great because, you know, not to tell everybody secrets, but she got to a point where people are going, we don't want a cat. We don't want a cat. Yeah. We don't need a cat. And she goes, well, I'm not just a cat. You know, it's a part of my character. And now she's going, well, what happens when I'm not a cat? And it's even more. And there's even more skill getting to be shown because she's not going, I have to make sure I show them I'm a cat first. She's just Allie. And she's coming out there and doing wrestling. And it's just as entertaining because we have taken that kind of growth with her a little bit. And we've seen her go from, hey, she's a little cat. And we saw her have a dust up with Gage in Texas. And there's a little toughness there. But there seems to be something more ironclad now and something very cement about Allie Catch where there's a threat to her. It's not just, oh, well, she might win, she might lose. It's you might have trouble up against Alley Catch, and I love that energy. It feels like a graduation. It, it doesn't is. feel like a, oh, I'm just going to change a gimmick. It feels like this is a an evolution and a graduation to the next level of performer that she is. Well, man, I could talk to you for another hour, I'm sure. But There's like, so much. We'll have to do this again. For sure. Um, is there any place I'd like to ask, is there any, for people who are maybe for whatever reason still not familiar with Effie, is there any match or clip or any place where you'd like to send people in the direction of? Well, you know, given the times we're in and what I hear from people a lot, I suggest they check out my match with Nick Gage from Two Cups Stuffed in Chicago. I think it was a real coming out party for me. A lot of people in the room knew me. A lot of people didn't. They all figured it out by the end. And uh, I earned Nick Gage's respect that night. Uh, he, he has told me far removed from the event that he was not happy with this match, like getting the match. And he said, everybody's talking about Effie. Everybody's saying Effie's so good. Effie's so over. Brett's coming to me. Oh, Effie's the future. Effie's great. 
And I said, well, I'm going to find out how great he is. I'm going to bring the ultraviolence. And the way he tells it, he came up to me and he said, it was me and Brett and Nick and we're talking. And he said, we're going to do ultraviolence. We're going to do glass and we're going to do it from the opening bell. And I looked you in the eyes and you didn't even flinch. And I knew you were a tough dude then. And I was like, knowing in my head, I was going, I'm up against this Nick Gage threat. I don't know what could happen. And having that confirmed Mm -hmm. that there could have been a little bit of a threat there, that makes me so excited. (laughs) Well, then everybody check that out. Uh, Your social media. Effie lives. Effie lives everywhere. And is that the same on Twitch? It's the same on Twitch. Okay, because E-F-F-Y Twitch is big. Lives. Twitch is big. We do Monday Not Raw every Monday at 8. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other shows are going on at that time. Right. We watch independent wrestling. Mm-hmm. We talk crap. I gossip about the weekend. It's at least a three-hour show every Monday. Also, Weird Wrestling Wednesdays are coming back, so that's going to be exciting. Awesome, man. Um, and then I got to plug Wrestling is Gay. Yes, of course, Wrestling is Gay. I got to plug gay. Wrestling is Gay. Now, this is the Spanish shirt that I found on my floor this morning because I was getting changed. I want to say this first. We've raised over $4,000 for the Lost and Found Youth Charity in Atlanta. They help with LGBTQ homelessness, but also with job skills training and mentorships and getting them you know, materials they'll need for work, resume building. So they do a lot of stuff start to finish with people who need a lot of help there. And we have moved our distribution over. I found the weakness of wrestling is gay after shipping thousands of orders myself was me. Uh, I'm not good at organizing myself. Yeah. If your order was wrong, it's because I packed it. So now we are doing another relaunch. We're going to have a lot more on that soon, very soon. And hopefully able to still, it's crazy to me to be a DIY independent dude and to be able to put out shirts that can raise that much money for someone else. Yeah. Like I, it, it seems unheard of years back and now it's like, it's regular day to day for me. So I just, I want to keep doing that and keep, if my cup runneth over, then let me share. Right. So wrestling is gay is returning. Wrestling is dot gay. And if you go to football is dot gay, I own that too. And I own sports are dot gay. Bring it NFL. <laughs> I love it, man. Thank you for hanging out. I Thank appreciate you. it. I had this a blast. Thanks for listening. Follow at not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been... Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.